Hey guys, welcome to episode 72. Hey guys, so we're back with another great guest. Um, again, I'm constantly searching the internet for the next best, next best guest. Um, and, you know, I have like a checklist of all these different, I mean, the ones that I can think of offhand of just different disabilities that I haven't covered. And, you know, of course, I'd like to delve back into other ones because everyone's experience is different. Um, but one of the conditions that this woman has is someone I was very fascinated about that I don't know a whole lot about. Um, and she was one of the first people that came up when I was looking for like, uh, top Instagrammers for this condition. Um, so you want to tell us your name and obviously just a little about yourself. Sure. Hey, TJ. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Jenny Grover and you might know me from my 15 plus years of advocacy work as chronic babe. Um, I was one of the first ever blogger um, about chronic illness that started a hundred million years ago is what it feels like. Um, and I have a bunch of different chronic illnesses. I'll, I'll run the list for you if I can remember them all. Um, all right. The main one that got me started on this path is fibromyalgia, um, which for those who don't know is a condition that causes chronic pain, fatigue, brain fog, a bunch of different stuff. And then I also have anxiety, depression, PTSD, hypothyroid, IBS, GERD, Raynaud's, rosacea. <laughs> I'm sure I'm forgetting something. <laughs> I think those are all the biggies. <laughs> Yeah, but the fact that you can, like, laugh and smile about it is, is something. I mean, I know there's probably some dark humor to that, too. Cause, you oh, know, yeah. Because I, you know, I have a very dark <laughs> sense of humor, and I, I laugh some of my stuff off. And it, it is sad to the average person, and, and, and there it does come from pain. But there is there is also some sort of, like, you know, awesomeness about it where you're just like, yeah, like, I can laugh about this, and I shouldn't, but I can, and I can smile. And, and most people probably would be miserable if they knew this was coming down there their path of yeah. their life. Yeah. Well, I've definitely, I've had plenty of people over the years accuse me of being a Pollyanna and I, I don't think they're reading my work. I think they're just, yeah. I think they're just seeing pictures of me smiling a line without understanding the, the complexity of the advocacy work that I do and what it means to live with multiple chronic illnesses. But, you know, the reason that you found me is that I, um, you know, I was diagnosed gosh, almost half my life ago now, so like 25 years ago-ish. Um, I was I, I was 25 at the time, so now you know about how old I am. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I decided after a few years of being really miserable and depressed um, and frustrated and angry, that I was going to figure out how to live well despite having this you know, these multiple serious illnesses, but the fibromyalgia in particular. And I, I've really worked very hard to figure out how to live well despite being sick and how to maintain or get back, I guess, my sense of humor and the lightness, you know, to how I move through the world. And when I started to learn how to do that, I thought it was really important to share that with other people because I knew I wasn't the only person out there kind of struggling and feeling alone with it. And so, 
you know, I think that I started to teach myself how to live well in spite of illness. But, but then I got to teach other people too. And from them, I've learned a ton. So I am able to laugh about it. I mean, I, there are definitely days when I'm not laughing, but I can laugh about the idea that I'm here still kicking despite, you know, pretty serious life circumstance, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you listen to half the demons in the back of your mind, they, to some degree, I mean, like the way I look at it is like, it, it seems like someone always wants me dead. I'm just like, or just wants me hurting or sad. And it's just like, mm-hmm. like sometimes my brain just doesn't give me a break. Um, I'm in a little better place now. I'm, I'm getting there, but it's like, you know, still it's just, there's times where I'm in my happiest of places and, and my mind just wanders off to some little path and just goes, Oh yeah. What about this? And you're uh remember how ugly you are. And it's like, Oh Jesus Christ. Can I just like, can we not do this today? <laughs> Yeah, well, so much of what we have to do if we want to engineer life for ourselves that's, you know, awesome in spite of being sick is we have to learn to notice when our mind is telling us those stories and learn some of those skills that help us tell it to shut up, you know, so we can go about our business. Yeah, I've done it out loud so many times and just screaming, like not screaming, but yelling enough just like, shut up already, Jesus. Um, so, um, when, you uh, so you were diagnosed, you said when you were 25 with fibromyalgia, you said, yeah, that's right. That's what kind of started me down this path. Right. Okay. So what, when you were diagnosed with that, like, so, so what, what comes with fibromyalgia as far as like pains and stuff? Like, how does it affect you on a daily basis? Well, um, how it shows up for me now, I think is different from how it showed up for me before or maybe the way I manage it is different so you know what I experienced at the time which was such a mystery because I was I was 25 I was in probably the best shape of my life I was you know exercising and doing all the things I thought I needed to do to take good care of myself and then kind of suddenly I just started to feel like crap all the time I was exhausted I was in pain I was having panic attacks and anxiety all day and my guts were always (laughs) roiling and it just felt like every system in my body was going berserk. And, um, you know, at the time people thought that, you know, the the people who were getting with diagnosed with fibromyalgia were middle-aged women predominantly. And as a young woman, it was very confusing to my doctors that I had all these symptoms. And um, and so it was really hard at first to get a diagnosis, get an accurate diagnosis. And, you know, because you have this constellation of symptoms. You have sensitivity to light and sound and textures and touch. Like I had a hard time wearing... I still have a hard time wearing any clothing or jewelry that like pinches in any way or has a very tight seam. Um, I felt exhausted all the time. I wasn't sleeping. I was having all kinds of really dark thoughts. I was sore all the time. I had no energy. You know, I had extreme fatigue and 
I was having like diarrhea and throwing up and all kinds of, I mean, it was like my whole system was just going crazy. And what's interesting now is that, <clears throat> you know, having, having had a number of mental health diagnoses over the years and understanding, learning and understanding the connection between our mind and our body, I wonder if, if, if I knew now what I knew then, I maybe would have advocated for a different treatment approach. Because at first, the treatment approach that I got was like, take these, take this handful of medications, you know, take, take these five medications and work out as hard as you can every day and it'll go away. And like, <laughs> you know, what happened was they gave me this cocktail of meds that made me hallucinate, made me sick to my stomach, gave me migraines, gave me all kinds of you know, crazy side effects. And they didn't really address the mental health component of the condition. Um, and so I, I do think I kind of got a bum. <laughs> I don't think it's just me, but I think that our understanding of the mind-body connection is so much better now than it was then. And I think that I... So part of how I've been able to take care of myself better is that I have learned a lot about the mind-body connection. And so a lot of the things I use to treat fibromyalgia now are, <clears throat> excuse me, very much about, you know, working with that connection instead of working against it. Right. Um, you know, but there are some things that, that are, you know, no matter how much, I, I mean, I meditate almost every day. I... Um, I do a lot of things to calm that system and I think it helps a lot. Um, but I don't, you know, it, it was hard in the beginning because they just didn't really, I didn't get a really good comprehensive care plan put together. And now we know that for people with fibromyalgia, one of the best ways they can improve their quality of life is to have a multidisciplinary treatment approach, you know, which I can talk to you about it in a lot more detail but I, I think it's a really powerful approach and right. it's available to people but you have to kind of search you have to kind of push for it well what you were saying earlier just about how like you know you didn't know a whole lot uh oh great now someone's mowing the lawn outside um oh i don't even hear it actually so yeah they will be able to um but anyway so okay. people will um so, so yeah, what, you know, your whole life is kind of just like unlocking these little chambers or whatever in your brain um, because you don't know a whole lot. And the older you get, you just start mm -hmm. to figure out things. And so even though you're 25 and you're, you know, you know, relatively where you need to be uh, in your mindset and you know where you're going in life, but like there's things you just don't know and you don't really sure. have an approach to it other than just maybe how you approach something else in your life. Or what you heard someone approached it, or how they approached it. And so when you actually get to the point where you're like, oh, I hear, here's this horrible condition you have. Um, you know, good luck. How do you, uh, what are you going to do next? And it's like, well, I don't know. And so now, you know, yeah. you're, you know, 20 some years later and you're just like, hey, this is, uh, now I, you know, it's like, because we always look back on the things we could have done. But, yeah, you know, again, where were you at mindset wise? And, and you yeah. know, how much knowledge was presented to you to where you could have yeah and I think that's it. a big I think that's a big component of it and I also think it's really important to note that the majority of people diagnosed with fibromyalgia nine out of ten people are women and women 
are often disregarded and dismissed when it comes to their healthcare concerns. Uh-huh. And so we're often not taught how to advocate for ourselves or how to consider how all these different body systems work together. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and so I think that's a big part of the problem that we can't not, we can't skip over is that, um, you know, the healthcare system has a lot of catching up to do because I think a lot of women understand the mind body connection a lot better than their male physicians do. And I'm not harshing on all male physicians because two of my three pain management specialists have been men and they have been exceptional. But I think that in general, the old model of a kind of hierarchical healthcare system that ignores the experience of people and in particular women has resulted in a lot of people getting really dismissed or kind of um, inadequate treatment. And so I, I hope that um, you know, unfortunately, I know that a lot of women are still getting diagnosed with fibro and they're still just basically being told, like, here's a pain pill, bye. And unfortunately, that's, that's a real shame because what we know now is that, um, is that with a program of sleep and diet and mental health treatment and gentle exercise, and medication, and things like medical cannabis, um, and relaxation techniques, all these things together in concert really work to help people feel their best, no matter how, you know, serious the fibromyalgia is. Right. So we have great people like um, Tammy Stacklehouse, who's a friend of mine. I, I met her because she is a chronic illness advocate, but more more than that, she is a fibromyalgia coach. And this is something that she teaches her clients how to have how to achieve this multidisciplinary pr- approach in their treatment, and she has so many people doing so well under this approach. And I get a lot of my care at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago, where they have a pain management center that is multidisciplinary. And you know, they I think that our system really needs to move toward a more complete, whole patient approach to help combat these really like complex multi-system health conditions. I think, I think we could, the more I've been very vocal about this, I'll probably be vocal about this till the day I die, but I think it's something that we need to push our healthcare systems to do better. Oh yeah. Well, I think something you said is just, you know, yeah, there's plenty of great male doctors um, and obviously, you know, but they know the male body and the male anatomy way more than they know the female. And I think that's, you know, I've said this even just even in other avenues of life. Like, I think you just need someone that's just like that person that you're working on. Like, you know, even if it's just like, okay, yeah. we're going to hire people with disabilities. Well, you need to have someone there who has a disability who can be the interviewer or be at least in the room. Yeah. You know? Like, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Someone who's familiar. Well, you know, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, even in, even in modern medicine, women weren't even included in clinical trials until a couple decades ago. Right. I mean, women are more than half of the humans on earth and we have been excluded from most, the vast majority of medical research has not even examined how, how things impact the female body. And so I think that, you know, there's, there are cultural limitations, but there's just a systemic limitation in the healthcare system 
it really leaves a lot of people behind. But, right. you know, what I think has been cool is that despite not getting that guidance at the beginning, you know, right when I first got diagnosed in those early years, I was able to kind of like claw my way toward it and find it. And I think that, you know, I've, I've always been a resilient person. And I think that that's been part of why chronic wave was so important to me to start was I felt that um, women in particular, and at the time when I started it, I aimed it at young women because I was aiming it at people like me. We, we, need, we need help to know that we can advocate for ourselves in that way. Later on in my work as chronic babe, I grew, the project really began to really be aimed more generally toward humans, right. <laughs> all humans, no matter their gender uh, or their age, because I began to recognize that a lot of skills I was learning and teaching could apply to almost anybody. Um, but yeah, I think that young women in particular, we still need a lot of progress to get to a place where our voices are heard. Well, I think a lot of people... And I say our voices, and I mean, I'm not a young woman anymore, so... <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I don't think people understand that how... Like, people think we're, like, that far away from slavery and, and, and you know, not even just slavery, just, just the freeing of the slaves um, and, and women's rights. Like, women couldn't vote until 1920, which is yeah. 101 years ago. And again, yeah. 101 years sounds like a long time, but it really isn't. It's really... It really isn't. And when, women couldn't even open their own credit card until the late 70s. Right. That's what... I mean, it's like, right. there's, so many, there's so many ways that... And so what's interesting is that, you know, I, I'll tell you something, CJ. When I was younger and people said to me, what I heard a lot was that, you know, all you women with fibromyalgia, it's all in your head. It's just like a lazy person thing. And in some ways, they weren't 100% wrong about it being in our head because there is such a strong tie between our physical health and our mental health. And so it's funny because the critiques that I got when I was younger, they weren't 100% off in terms of the all in your head because it's partly in your head. <laughs> and from learning about how to work with that connection, I've actually been able to get a lot better and so have many other people. Um, and so it's, it's just been interesting to see those early critics that I pushed back so hard against. Now I'm like, well, there's like, you were like 5% right. <laughs> yeah. Except for not the lazy part. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, that's, it, that's one of the biggest problems. You know, everyone's always about inclusion and quality and all that. And some of it is kind of mm -hmm. impossible because you can't have equality in everything in life because we're not made that way. Like we're all different. So it's only so much you can have, but more on a pay scale and just, just, you know, in, inclusion is more what you need. You need people who actually are like those people to, uh, to, to reap the benefits for, you know, generations to come of that particular person, mm -hmm. whether it's a disability or gender or, you know, whatever their financial status, you know, if they're homeless or whatever, like you need people who have been through something and, and, and have life experience and, and, and that are like them to, say, hey, this is this is what they need. And, uh, you know, because, again, the, you know, for someone with a disability, like, you know, this world is not made for us. It's just not. But mm -hmm. we make the best of it, or at least most of us do. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I've said many times, I said it's like, you know, trying to get into a house that has no door and windows. It's like, mm -hmm. how do you get in? 
It's not made for us. We don't know how the hell we're getting in there, but we'll find a way somehow because Mm -hmm. we have to. Um, Yeah. To your point, you know, thinking about how we, I mean, I, you know, sometimes I do feel like the world is not made for me in the sense that, you know, a big part of fibromyalgia is like um, an overall tuned up sensitivity to all sensory input. So, loud noises and fast moving and bumpy and bright lights and, you know, like all that kind of frenetic input. And, you know, I grew up in a big city. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and then I lived in Chicago until very recently. I lived in Chicago for about 25 years. And so I was very accustomed to loud sounds and a lot of people and fast moving and bright lights and honking horns and construction and, you know, very busy, frenetic, big city life, a lot of which I really loved, but a lot of which really fought with my health. And it's interesting, a couple of years ago, my husband and I moved to Evanston, Illinois, we're just north of Chicago. And um, we live in a house it's a, it's a quiet suburb. And at first I thought maybe it meant I was going soft and I've come to really understand that in a way I'm just, I'm not going soft, but I am, I am enjoying being soft. And there's something about, you know, living in a big city, being a part of a big community that is so helpful for many of us. But I really felt like I always felt like I was in conflict with the world around me and being in this kind of place, I actually feel so much better (laughs) physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. I'm more in touch with nature. I get to spend a lot more quiet time. I can just sit in my front yard and watch kids play and just enjoy butterflies going by. And it sounds kind of, it is kind of magical and I'm, I feel so much better. And so it's interesting. Like I, I always felt like I was not made for this world. And what I'm really understanding is our world is so intense a lot of the time that we, it's not that we're wrong. It's that the bigger world has some issues to grapple with, you know? Um, So part of, you know, taking care of myself was us making this decision to move to a quieter, gentler place. And it has really paid off. So you know, to anyone listening, I know that it's not an option for everyone by any means, wasn't an option for me for a long time. But if, you know, you've got to think about the environment, the, the aspects of your environment that you can control. Um, and being able to change your environment can really impact your health in a really huge way. Do you feel that like fibromyalgia gets enough eyes on it? Like, is it, you know, again, obviously, there's no. so, right, I didn't think so. No, <laughs> no. You know, years ago, I haven't looked at the statistics in a while. I doubt they've changed probably at all. Um, but years ago, I did um, I did a series of articles for a hospital system here in the Chicago area, in Chicago, um, about women and chronic pain conditions. And one of the things that I discovered in my research for that series was that um, – when it comes to NIH funding, that's the National Institutes of Health, for anyone who doesn't know, um, the funding for condition, okay, let's take Parkinson's as an example. The funding for that re- research into that condition, which is primarily experienced by older 
white men. That's where we know that the predominance of the cases shows up. That gets about, at the time, again, this might have been seven or eight years ago, but at the time, it got about $150 per patient per year in research spending by the National Institutes of Health. And in comparison, fibromyalgia, which impacts many, many, many more people and impacts many younger women of childbearing age, so when they're taken out of the workforce, they lose income, they lose generational wealth, they lose the ability to care for children or own property and things like that that impacts them for, for the rest of their life, starting at a very young age, um, the spending by the NIH was only $1.50 per patient. And so when we look at the disparity, just in the research dollars of, of, of how these conditions compare when it comes to re, you know, medical research, you can see right there that the priorities are totally skewed. And not that I want to take any research funding away from people with Parkinson's. I have a dear friend who lives with Parkinson's. And one of my relatives died from the, you know, experience of Parkinson's with all the different things he went through. Um, but when we look at who who is funding this research and who is, how much money is going into looking at cures or treatments, for those conditions, we look at exponential disparity. And I, I, I draw a direct line from, you know, it's a gender thing. It's just clearly a gender and a youth thing, but really it's a gender thing. And so um, I think that's something that really needs to change. And I think the other thing that's been hard over the years for me is that when fibromyalgia first started being talked about, um, you know, some 30, 30, years ago approximately um it was laughed off as a joke and so i remember seeing on lots of different tv shows or on, on radio shows like hearing howard stern make fun of it or watching people with it be made the butt of jokes on you know television programs or movies that's that's always been really hard to me um you know, years and years ago, what people used to talk about chronic fatigue syndrome as yuppie flu. And again, a lot of that dismissal was because it was middle-aged women, um, and I think predominantly white women who were being diagnosed with it. And a lot of people thought that it was just people being lazy and not wanting to do hard work. And, you know, that's bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. And the same goes for fibromyalgia. So I tell you, the first time I heard about fibromyalgia in pop culture, in a way that I thought was respectful and interesting and thoughtful was on the TV show House. I don't know if you ever watched that show. I know you're show. talking about, yeah, yeah, it was a very popular Yeah, show. so it was like, so I loved that show because I felt like, <laughs> I thought, first of all, I thought maybe one day this TV show will figure out what's wrong with me. But then when I, <laughs> but then, you know, then later it was like they represented it as, an, as a real condition that affects real people. And, and requires like really serious, thoughtful treatment. And that was, you know, I didn't experience that. I didn't feel like I experienced that with my healthcare providers in the early days, but I saw it on the TV show. And that's just bizarre to me. So I think, <clears throat> I think we know a lot more about it. I would like to say that I have played some role in that. You know, I've done my advocacy work for many years. I've, when uh, I, I take the medication Lyrica, I don't, that's not an endorsement 
that's just the thing that has changed my life significantly for the better since I was able to start taking that medication. And that was the first FDA approved medication for fibromyalgia. And when it came out and became approved, I worked with Pfizer on a series of educational videos about what it's like to live with fibromyalgia and how people can take good care of themselves. And that was, I feel really good about that work to this day that, you know, we help educate a lot of people about how they can take good care of themselves. And we need more of that. We need a lot more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that goes for a lot of conditions, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we've talked about it on here many times of just, even just representation, you were talking about with house and I mean, mm-hmm. even when we get representation in movies or shows, it's usually never a person with that condition. That's actually the actor. It's always someone playing us, yeah. even if it's well done, you know, like I understand why yeah. they use Jamie Foxx for the Ray Charles movie because he does a really good Ray Charles impression. So he played a blind guy mm-hmm. and you know, it was great, you know, fine. But it, again, there's so many people with all these different conditions that it's like, why, why isn't there any representation? Um, you yeah, know, there is no acting with us. Like we, we know how to be the condition cause we can help it. <laughs> it is us. Yes. It's engulfed yes. in our body. We know what we're doing. Just again, I know not everybody can just go up there and act either, but sure, you know, sure. representation matters. Uh, it goes back yeah. to everything we were talking about with doctors and with the women and all that, like everything. It's all relative. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you just, you know, you know, and again, there's always these misnomers and, and misconceptions of, you know, yeah, like you were saying with women and just, you know, all their middle-aged white women and they're probably, all they're doing is complaining and, and look, there is that, but there's, you know, everything gets mixed together and that's why it's yeah, so, when yeah. you were saying about that, you, you know, you were an advocate for years and it's like, I hope you never officially give up on it because, you know, voices like you matter for your condition because yeah. if you don't speak up and I've said this even in the disabled community, like if like losing one person is like gaining 10 for us because there's so few of us doing it. Um, yeah. And yeah, if you yeah. just stop, especially, you know, if you're just, if, even if you just want to talk about your condition only, you know, how many people it's even fewer. So if you really want people to put eyes on your condition, like you have to be one of the people that grabs yeah. the bull and just says, I'm doing this because yeah. who else is going to do well, it? T- yeah. Well, I'll tell you how that shifted for me. Um, because I did, the chronic babe advocacy work for you know mostly full-time for about 15 years and I learned some really powerful things from that but a couple of things I learned that pushed me away from doing it full-time one was that it's really difficult to live to earn a living wage doing that work um, because while there are some companies like Pfizer who paid me very well for the work I did with them there are a lot of other companies that don't want to pay advocates. They, and the way our system is set up is that people with disabilities often can't get paid over a certain amount because then they lose their um, disability benefits. Disability, I'm right. sure everybody listening knows that. So just in case there's one person who doesn't know that yet, I'll please know that. But, um, <clears throat> and so it's very, very difficult to learn to earn a living wage. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that living in a body with a disability, with chronic health conditions, is very difficult in and of itself. And then to speak and think and work about it all day means that you never get a single moment of not thinking about it. And over the years, that really started to grind on me. It just became 
too much. I felt like my entire life was about disability and illness. And that really wore me down. So I think it's important to pay attention to that. But, um, and so what I, what I decided in 2019, um, was that I was going to stop doing the advocacy work full time, but that what I was going to do was take the, the kernel of truth from all those years of work and turn it into new work that I could continue to help many people. And the commitment that I had made to myself was that I was going to show up and be very open about the fact that I am a person with a disability and with chronic health conditions and, and continue to speak about that to literally everyone that I meet. <laughs> so what's been interesting about that is that um, I took this kernel of, of my chronic day work, which was about resilience, teaching people resilience. And in particular, working with them on their creativity and helping them find the connection. Because when we use our creative energy and we put it toward things, we become stronger. So there's a really intense tie between creativity and resilience. And all of us, you and me and everybody listening, we need that creative resilience in order to thrive, especially when we have disability and illness. And I decided that I was going to become a, a coach and teach people this quality of creative resilience and um, help people learn how they could become more creatively tuned into what was going on in their body and their life and come up with creative solutions, which is really the core of my advocacy work has always been teaching people how to get creative, how to get weird, how to experiment, how to figure out how to create a life for themselves that could be really um, fulfilling, no matter how disabled or sick they are. And so when I decided to make that shift, I went through a really difficult period of like mourning because I was really sad in a way to be giving up my full-time advocacy. But what I've learned in the past year and a few months, year and a half, I, I, <laughs> I made that choice a few minutes, a few minutes, a couple months before the pandemic started. Um, what I've learned is that I'm able to actually inform a lot more people by working not as a full-time advocate, but just doing work that helps people, but making sure everyone knows that I have these conditions. Because what happens is they see me, they see me living a, a life that's fulfilling, doing work that is satisfying, helping people. And I have, can't tell you how many people have said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you have fibromyalgia. I can't believe you're able to run a company and coach people and help people and do public speaking and you have fibromyalgia. And that's an, uh, whenever that happens, that's my opportunity to say, well, yeah, I'm so happy to show you that it's possible because I want people to stop discounting those of us in our shoes and acknowledge and really celebrate that we are full-fledged members of society, you know, that we're not to be put into a corner. We're not less than. Right. We're actually, like, a lot stronger than a lot of people because Absolutely. we've had to deal with this adversity, you know? Yeah. No, I'm glad you said what you said because I'm kind of in the beginning stages of where you were. You know, I've been doing this mm -hmm. a year and just advocating, but it, it, I think a lot of people just think, like, oh, it's great, like, what you're doing, what you're, what you're doing, but even just with my yeah. mental health alone, I'm always tired and, and, yeah. and doing right. this, it's very stressful. Like, you know, finding guests yeah. and, and doing the interview stuff, 
you know, doing the interview stuff is the easy part. Uh, meeting you guys and becoming friends with you, that's all easy. It, it's, it's just the caring. And, you know, our, you know, one of the big things that I've stressed a lot with our community is that we don't support each other. Like we're, we're yeah. constantly looking yeah. for answers or we're constantly looking for help and, 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 you know, and advocates and all these things. But if we don't take into our own hands, you know, you can't continue to just wait for people to help you all the time. And, yeah, yeah, and, and sure. if there's people out there that are putting out information just because you haven't figured out the plan yet, maybe someone else has and just support them, look out yeah. for them and not just yeah. support a person who has your condition, support them all because, you know, it, it's all relative. It all matters. And we all need yeah. to fight for each other because no one, there's not enough people that are fighting for us as a whole. Um, and there's mm-hmm. so many of us, 1.6 billion. And, and why are we not sticking together? Like you see, yeah, you know, yeah. again, I've said it many times, regardless if you want to agree with Black Lives Matter or Me Too or any of these groups, they're at least fighting for something. Even if you don't agree for what they're fighting for. And even if you think they're, they're, they've become corrupt and all that, I get it. But there, there are people that are legitimately fighting for black people and fighting for women and gay people and so on and so on. So, but we're 1.6 billion and we're in every one of those groups. We're, we're in Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. We're, you know, we're in, there's black disabled people, there's women, there's gay people, there's every ethnicity and gender where there, there's a disability, per, or a disabled person. So why can't mm-hmm. we just stick together? And why can't we fight for all those? We could fight for all those rights plus ours. Um, but yeah, but back to what I was saying, like, you know, it, it's very stressful. Like it's very frustrating sometimes because yeah. you get a lot of, you know, just, you know, passing you by and just say, eh, who cares? Like, you know, I don't want to support your thing because, you know, I got my own thing going on over here. It's like, look, I'm fighting for you. So anything yeah. that I fight for, it benefits you too. I'm not fighting yeah, for just I, me. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, over the years, it's been interesting because when I, when I started Chronic Babe, I started it as a website at chronicbabe.com. And this will tell you how long ago I started. There was social media didn't exist. YouTube didn't exist. <laughs> All I had was the website. I had the website and I had an email that I would send people, but that was it. And so many people were like, well, why isn't it fibro babe? Or why isn't it? And it's like, well, first of all, I have like 10 diagnoses. So right. there's none of that is going to fit in one URL. And so I called it chronic babe because it was about just the experience of having chronic pain and illness. Like I could serve the broader community of people with disability and pain and illness right. because the skills I was learning could really apply to anyone. And I didn't want, I didn't think it was as important for me to specialize in fibromyalgia as it was for me to reach the most number of people and with the skills that they could use. And so that's why I was more of a generalist as an advocate. Although in later years, I worked with the U.S. Pain Foundation for many, many years. Right. Um, and that is, you know, the, the fibromyalgia is the heart of my advocacy work. But I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that we need to stick together. We're stronger when, our, when we're united. Right. Um, and, you know, and to your point about Black Lives Matter and other advocacy groups, I mean, I've used some of my income from my advocacy work to support Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter and give to Trevor Project and and participate in organizations that I know are doing that work. And again, it's because I believe in their work and also because I know that if I show up and I participate in those um, organizations and at their events and I tell people I am a person with a disability, I'm a person with chronic pain, 
and I'm participating, then they are reminded of the diversity of our great community. Yeah, I think that the more we can stick together and the more we can lift each other up, the, the, the better our community is. And that's, I'll tell you, that's been really interesting the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, as a creative person, one of the things I love to do is quilt. And I love making quilts for myself, for friends and family. And um, I was last year the president of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild. And I, I don't think a meeting went by when I didn't talk about taking care of our physical and mental, mental health. Like I felt like a way that I could be an advocate was to show up to make sure that I mentioned that I live with these chronic conditions. And to talk about how we can all live better, even if we have them. And so that's an audience of 130, 140 people that got to hear me speak every month and got to see me live a full, creative, rich life and know that I have those conditions. And what that means, I think, is that those people, the people in that audience who also have disability or chronic pain or illness, they get to feel seen and heard and represented and they get to see what it can look like. And then the people who don't have that, but know people who do, they understand those people in their lives better because they know me, they're friends with me. They see me thriving in spite of it. And so then they are more likely to go back to the other relationships in their life with people with disabilities and not discount them to know like, I know somebody who can thrive in spite of this, but I know you can thrive in spite of it. So I think a lot of the advocacy work isn't just, it isn't just showing up at events and posting on social media and having a podcast and a newsletter and all that stuff. That stuff's important, but I think just moving through the world in a way that you show people what's possible. I think that is in itself a form of advocacy. Right. Yeah. Sticking up for yourself and just even little things where it's just like, you know, one of the things that I went through for a long time, and again, I had so much anxiety and stuff from the world that I just, I didn't really speak up for myself so much. There's times I'd go to restaurants and I'd be with my mom or somebody and they would just go like, so what does he want? And I got to a point where I, was, I just had to go like, look, I'm 20 or whatever I was at that time. And it's like, look, I'm here. I, I'm, uh, yeah. I, I need you to understand that I'm a person and Yes, I may look a little different, or I have my eye condition, or whatever, whatever it is that ails you know ails you out there. Just know that uh, you know, yeah, like who cares what you look like? I still have feelings, and I still have you know I can do my own yeah. order here. And uh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And if you just if you just <laughs> let people run you over, that's the thing. You have to stand up for yourself, even if it, if if it makes it awkward yeah. and it draws more attention to yourself. Because look, I don't like a lot of attention to myself, but. You have to, because if and if you don't fight for yeah. it, and again, and then there's a point where you gotta eventually fight for more than just yourself, because it, it's it's you know again, what benefits you can benefit so many other people, and you'll feel so much happier when you actually can influence and impact other lives. Um, and I think that's you know when I said I, I've said this before when I started this podcast, I you know just did it for my for just for therapy reasons, just to talk about mental health and what I've been through. Um, mm-hmm. And here comes the lawnmower again. Um, but I did it just mainly for me and it, and it was, it was a good thing. But then once I started interviewing people with disabilities and it usually started off with just eye stuff, all my friends with eye problems. And I, there was a small part of me that felt like I wasn't doing a good service to the community because I felt like I could do more. 
I wanted to reach mm. conditions that I know nothing about. I wanted to reach mm. parts of the body that I don't have that problem for. And and once I started to do that, it was it, it made me feel so much better as a person and made me realize like this is what I need to be doing because there's not I'm, you know I'm not embarrassed to have an eye condition. I'm not embarrassed about you know the visually impaired and blind community, but they're only a corner, or a small piece of that community. And there's so many more of us that we can reach. And if we actually just join together, and that's why I always talk about that documentary Crip Camp so much, because that's what we did. Mm. And we're so mm-hmm. far from that now. And we're so like, mm. there's people in the deaf community that actually say they don't have a disability. They're just a little different. And it's like, we can't get to that place because you are like us just in a different way. And it's amazing what you guys well, do. And, and, you know, but go ahead. There's one thing I would say to that though, is I, I do feel, um, it's a challenging issue. I, you know, I worked in social service for people with disabilities years ago, kind of early in my career. And I made friends with people in the deaf community. And that was the first time I heard um, that deaf folks would say, I'm not disabled. And I found it to be very challenging at first. But what I really did come to understand was that their stance on that their um, their perspective on who they are was the most important voice in the room, right. and so I it's been interesting. I have I have friends now who are deaf who do consider themselves to be disabled, and I've had friends who are deaf who did not. And so I I think some of it we have to be thoughtful about how we listen to people when they talk about their own perspective on their existence. Um, because I think that it matters. And so it's hard because it's not, you know, all deaf people are not a monolith. Like they're, everybody's going to have a variance of perspectives. And I have some friends who've had cochlear implants and some friends who have chosen not to do them. And I don't think one person is right or wrong. I think it's got to be an individual choice. But it does it makes it a little harder to talk about these groups um, and explore the nuance of how people define themselves because it's not like everybody's in agreement. So for example, um, you know, I was not told until many years later after my diagnosis that fibromyalgia was considered a disability. And when I was told that I was shocked and upset. I didn't want to think of myself as a person with with a disability. And then for many years, it actually helped me to think of myself that way because it helped me to unite with a group of people and it helped me to feel like I was part of the community. And then years later, I have now circled back around to where I don't typically think of myself as a person with a disability. I think of myself as a person with chronic health issues, but I don't, I, I tend to not use that terminology and it's not a rejection of the community by any means. It's just that I, I find it easier to push myself to thrive and, and if I don't wear that label. And in fact, I've been exploring something the last couple of months, which is a very new thing for me in almost 30 years. This is a new thing for me. I've explored calling myself a well person, which is very weird <laughs> because mm. a person with so many chronic conditions you wouldn't think of that person as a quote unquote well person. 
But what I've come to realize is that it actually helps me feel stronger and feel more hopeful if I think of myself as well. And so what I've been doing is redefining what wellness means for me. And so wellness for me, you know, a lot of people think wellness is a skinny, you know, white person doing yoga, <laughs> right? And like they, yeah. and, and drinking kombucha and whatever. Like they have a very narrow definition. And for me, even though I'm overweight, I'm mi- firmly in the middle age now. I have a disability. I have more than 10 chronic illness and chronic pain diagnoses. But I'm starting to think of myself as a person who's well. And what wellness is for me is I take my meds on time every day. And I do all my maintenance health care appointments. I don't skip them. And I meditate each day. And I do yoga. Even on days when I'm really stiff and I look terrible, I still do it. Like redefining what wellness is to me has actually been a very affirming thing. And so, again, it's not a rejection I've had arguments with a couple other friends with chronic illness about this. It's not a rejection of the chronic illness community. It's just the terminology I use for myself. I right. don't know if that yeah. makes sense to no, you. No, no, because I, you know, I, I was kind of disagreeing, but I, I understand what you're saying now. Like, I, I absolutely agree with that. Like, I think what people do for their own individuality yeah. and their own mental sanity is perfectly yeah. fine. Like, but that's how you, you, you thrive and you, you survive in your life. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. great. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think... When it, when it, I think there's some people that really, because there's a lot of us that don't want to be disabled and we're embarrassed about being disabled. And, and right, whatever right, term right. or label you want to use, you don't have to use the word disabled because I don't love that word either. But, you know, you don't want to be a part of this community because, you know, and that, that's why I've said there's so many people that when they do make it and they have some sort of reverence and something in their life that makes them, you know, have some sort of stature in life where people kind of treat them a little different because mm-hmm. they're a CEO of a company or whatever, you know, they kind of mm-hmm. close the portal behind them and they don't want to bring oh, others yeah. with them because it's like, well, no, see, I'm I'm the anomaly. I'm the one person that actually made it. Sure. And yeah, yeah, sure. there's those other people over there, but I'm not like them. And that's oh where, yeah, that's no, no, I, no. yeah, that's yeah, I, no, yeah. I'm with you, TJ, because the way I look at it as like I kicked that door open, <laughs> and now I'm going to stand in this door and hold it open so everyone else gets to join the party. Like that's the yeah. way I look at it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And that, 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 yeah, that that was my only point as far as when people say that they're deaf and they're not disabled. It's like I, I yeah, get it. Like sure. if that makes you happy inside, fine. But when it comes to when we all need to fight for each other, we need yeah. to be yeah. side by side, and we are the same in in some ways. And in, yeah. in the ways that yeah. we're not, that's when we can venture out and we can show you that we're all different. But we need to be together right. and be strong because if you start saying that I'm not like that person over there, then another person is going to get that and go, well, okay, I have fibromyalgia or I have lupus or I have this. I am not disabled. I am just, I'm a person with this and that. And it's like, no, man, because the reality is if you look at the, the disabled logo is a guy in a wheelchair. Well, uh, most of the disabled community are not in wheelchairs, but, right. but that's, that's right. the logo for us. But we're still like that right. guy or girl in the wheelchair. That is us, regardless of we want it to be or not. That is our, you know, yeah. that is our little moniker. That's our our, our whole thing. That that defines us. It's it shouldn't, but that's what it is. Um, yeah. and well, so, I yeah. I totally hear you on that. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, we, you know, it would be very hypocritical and and pretty shitty <laughs> for me to have done all this work over the years and then be like. Okay, bye guys. Yep. I'm well now. Like that would be <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I didn't think you were and doing I would, that, but yeah. Yeah, but but sure, but I definitely know people who have. And I mean, I 
you know, I'm a Buddhist and a, a big part of my spiritual practice is feeling that connection, that interconnectedness between all humans. And I think that we can, we can really thrive when we're connected and when we can find ways to help each other. And so I'm never going to stop looking for those things. I'm never going to stop um, speaking out on behalf of people in my community or people, you know, as I'm sitting here, I'm looking out and I see a Black Lives Matter sign in my front yard and a rainbow flag flying in front of our house because it's June while we're, we're making this recording and it's Pride Month. And like, I think it's really important for me to use my voice to speak up for my community and for any other um, disenfranchised people that I have the privilege of being able to lift up. I think that's really important work in the same way that many people have done that for me. Many of my friends over the years who don't have a disability or illness, they have spoken up for me. They've advocated for me. They've shown up to the emergency room when I was there. They've insisted on better treatment for me. They've helped make sure that events are accessible. Like they've, people have stood up for me and I think it's, it's my responsibility as a community member to stand up for the other people in our community who can't always speak up for themselves. But I, but one thing I, I do want to encourage you and anybody else who's an advocate is to listen to that little, that um, intuition that you have when you're feeling burned out, when you're feeling run down, you've got to take care of yourself because um, the world needs people like us. The world needs you, TJ. They need people in your audience to, to use their voice and to spread knowledge and build connections and fight for our rights. And we need to, we can't pour from an empty cup. We've right. got to take care of ourselves in order to keep doing that good work. Right. Well, I think that's why I do so many episodes ahead. Like I, you know, you're probably going to be episode like 72, I believe. And I just put out 51. <laughs> And it's like, I, yeah, I put out one yeah. a week and I try to get, I, I, I've now made this goal in my head where I want to be about 20 ahead. And then like each week wow. I'll, I'll try to find one guest because trying to find That's so great. many people and I, it's just, it's, it's so hard and stressful because you're never going to, you're not always going to get a yes. And you may get people that are yeah. going to like forget the time and forget the day. And, um, and then, you know, you people just won't do it. Um, and, and yeah, so sure. I'm trying to just you know, all I have to do is just publish the episode and I, I can do the show notes. And the only thing I would have to do right before the week, I just ask for the, you know, a link to your website or whatever you're promoting a book or whatever it is, mm -hmm. give me your Instagram. And then, and, and that's all I need. And I'll just do the show notes the day before it comes out. That's all I really got to do. Uh, and obviously kind of yeah. remember what the, what the episode was about. Uh, but I do kind of little listens through and all that. Um, but, um, yeah, no, you're you're right. Like, yeah, you gotta you gotta take care of yourself, and that's something I'm trying to get better at. Um, yeah, I know I know you're kind of on a time restriction. I got some stuff to do, so I have a couple more questions for you, and then I'll let you go. Sure, sure, sure. Um, what was I going to say now? <laughs> um, can you talk about the differences in? Because you said you have a thyroid problem, and what is it, hyper and hypo? I think are what they are called. Yeah, I have I have uh, hypothyroidism. Uh, how does that affect you, and what is the difference between the two? Um, so I think I don't fully understand it. Um, this is, that is one of the very few conditions I have where all I need to do is simply take a pill and it fixes it. So right. it's kind of an unusual thing, but it's, um, 
it's a you can have an overactive or underactive thyroid and hyper hyperthyroidism is you have an overactive thyroid and hypothyroid means it's underactive so i have an underactive thyroid so i take a supplement every morning i take a thyroid pill and it 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 once we tweaked the dosage it changed everything because what i had what i was experiencing was crushing fatigue like utterly life-changing devastating fatigue couldn't get up off the floor to get myself into bed kind of fatigue um i had that gosh i think it's been 12 or 13 years ago was when it first started and it was very scary because it was so intense um but it's common for, um, I don't know much about men's hormonal changes over the years, but it's common for women in their 30s to go through a big hormonal change. And for a lot of us with hypothyroid, um, that's when that shows up. So, you know, it's one of these things where I already was living with fibromyalgia, of which a big component is fatigue. Mm-hmm. And the fatigue of the hypothyroid was like, a just, a, it like magnified it. Um, and so at first I was like putting up with it because I thought it was part of my fibromyalgia, but I'm glad that I spoke up and pushed really hard to get examined because once I did, they, it, you can diagnose it with a simple blood test. And once they did that, they were like, Oh no, you're all out of whack. We can fix this. Like this is an easy thing we can fix, you know? Um, so so back to that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, having a, having a chronic condition like fibromyalgia, I mean, I, the way that it has shown up for me has changed so much over the years. And it's important for us to really be communicating with our healthcare providers um, about those changes, because sometimes those changes are just a natural evolution of the condition, but sometimes it can be other stuff. So uh, we've got to speak up for ourselves. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted because you were going to we meant you mentioned it earlier um, just about all the things that you do you know like you were talking about like medical marijuana and, and like CBD mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff that helps um, because I think one of the things that people don't realize is a lot of doctors they don't want to prescribe stuff like or like they don't prescribe stuff yeah. like that because they don't really get any benefit or, or you know there's no financial gain in that um, and that's like you know third party stuff, and they they can't you know it's not it's some doctors the really good ones will say hey this may help or may yeah. not, or they or they haven't had education about it because like they don't teach about that stuff in medical school, you know. Right. So there's like there's there's a lot of different reasons why it doesn't get prescribed. Sure. Right. So just just quickly just talk about the things that you like all the little things that helped you. Um, as far as, you know, whatever, whatever you did, you know, you said you meditate and all these things, obviously it also sure. benefits your mental health, but these things that a lot of people, you know, these aren't over the counter, uh, or, or prescribed medications. These are mm-hmm. things that you do, um, uh, being a Buddhist, obviously there's a lot of things that goes into that, yeah. but, um, yeah. What are all the things that you can do that kind of helps you not only for your mental health, but just for your chronic illness? Yeah. So let's see, I can, I'll think about it from like how I start my day. I'll go through the whole day and I'll give you a list. <laughs> so, Sounds good. Um, and it's going to sound like a lot for anyone who's not doing this stuff. It'll probably sound like a lot, but over the years I've just built all this into my routine. So I don't even think about it a lot of the time. It's just part of my routine. But, um, so when I get up in the morning, when I get up in the morning, um, that reminds me to tell you that I have a really consistent sleep schedule. 
I go to bed at the same time, about the same time every night, and I wake up at the same time every morning, and I try really hard to get good sleep. So I do a lot of sleep hygiene. If you go to the National Sleep Foundation website, they have a great write-up on sleep hygiene. And some of the things that help me are I wear earplugs. I make sure the temperature is cooler at night when I go to bed. I um, I take melatonin at night that helps me fall asleep. Um, I use medical cannabis at night that um, is a strain that is more um, conducive to better sleep. Um, and I take a prescription medication that helps with that as well. So I'm hitting it on all fronts. Um, when I get up in the morning, I hydrate. I drink a big, big glass, like a, like a 24-ounce cup of water when I wake up in the morning. Because hydration really affects our pain levels, our um, energy levels, inflammation. So hydration. And then throughout the day, I'm like, I mean, I pee like every hour. I'm always in the bathroom. <laughs> but it's worth it because I feel so much better when I'm well hydrated. I take my meds on schedule. And so I have little pill organizers for, I have one, I have a five compartment pill container for every day of the week. And so I have meds that I take right when I get up. And then I have meds I take 45 minutes later. And then I have meds I take another 45 minutes later. And then I wait a little while and then I get to eat. So in the morning, once I've gotten up, I've had good sleep hygiene, I hydrate. Then I use a heating pad. I heat up my back, which is where I get the most pain usually. And then I do about 45 minutes of yoga. And I've learned that routine over the years from yoga teachers and physical therapists and various people. So I've got a whole list of poses and stretches I can do to help myself. And that is great for mobility. Now, when I started doing it, I could not touch my toes. I could barely reach to my knees. But over the years, I've gotten more and more limber, and that really helps with pain and mobility. Um, then I eat really healthy throughout the day, so I do very minimal sugar. Um, I don't really do that much fried food. I don't eat meat. Um, I mostly stay away from gluten, so I eat a, a very diverse diet, but it is mostly plants. Um, and that has really helped a lot with my health as well, my energy level throughout the day, most consistently, if I eat a big cookie and a bag of chips, I'm, I'm, I'm falling asleep, you know? Okay. Um, I bathe every day. That's part of my self-care routine. I make an effort to do that in some way. I don't wash my hair every day, but I bathe every day. Right. <laughs> um, I exercise. I try to get some kind of cardio in the everyday. So like today I did a 20-minute bike ride. Um, or maybe like uh, next week I'm going to – my gym is opening again. I'm going to go swim in the pool. So I've, I've found a, I can't do high-impact exercise at all. Like when I was a kid, I was a runner. Excuse me. I can't do that kind of exercise at all. But I found a bunch of different low-impact exercises I can do. Um I use ergon good ergonomics in my home office. So I, 20 years ago, I sprang for a very expensive office chair and I still use it today and it's awesome. Um, I have a sit-stand desk where I can change my posture and changing my posture throughout the day really helps with pain management. Um, 
I use pacing throughout the day. So I take pacing breaks. For example, on my computer, I use an app called Break Time. And um, it freezes my keyboard every 20 minutes for two minutes. So it forces me to take a break. Uh, and cool. that has helped me a lot. That's been hard. It was hard to get used to because I'm a lifelong writer and I was used to writing for hours at a clip, you know, and um, it was hard, very hard to get used to that. But once I got used to it, I can still write in my head during those two minute breaks. And then when it, the timer goes off, I can get back on the keyboard. That helps a lot with pain and energy. Um, I also try to take breaks throughout the day. I meditate at least once a day. Yeah, I'm getting um, into that now. Oh yeah, it's I, I love the Insight Timer app. The Insight Timer app has a bunch of great free meditations. Okay. Um, and I I mentioned you you mentioned that I'm a Buddhist. I my spiritual path has really helped me achieve a greater sense of acceptance about the aspects of this that I can't control, um, and that has really helped me a lot. I don't drink anymore. I quit smoking years ago. I quit smoking. I'm three years and a couple of months sober. That's been exceptional. So like learning how to find other coping mechanisms besides alcohol. Um, thank you. I don't, I use medical cannabis during the day as well. I microdose. So I don't, in keeping with my commitment to not, um, to not get drunk or get high, I don't take medical cannabis in a way that I get high, but I get the pain relieving and relaxation qualities of it um what do you do for your your brain fog because that's something i've been dealing with and i hate it man so that i will say the hydration is really big for brain fog the the good sleep schedule is good for brain fog i gave up caffeine and actually not being a slave to that caffeine cycle has really helped with my brain fog a lot um and i would say eating really healthy helps has helped with my brain fog so when i eat a lot of like when I eat sugary fried stuff, it really messes with my brain and makes me confused. So a healthy diet has made a huge impact on my brain fog. Lots of friends I know take supplements for that, and there are good ones out there, but I don't choose to do that. But, I mean, there, there are lots of options. You know any um, offhand? I, you know, I don't know any off the top of my head. Um, but there are there are supplements out there, and I – you know, if I were feeling more brain fog, I would talk to my doctor about it and see what they recommended and probably reach out to my community, like fibromyalgia folks, and ask what they use okay. um, and get ideas. But I always run stuff past my doctors because right. I think that it's really important to, especially when we take multiple medications, to like pay attention to potential interactions between the medications is really important. Um I wear really good shoes because I've had a lot of foot pain over the years. So I wear really good shoes and a lot of the time I have orthotics in those shoes. I do my yoga routine in the morning, but I also do some stretching throughout the day depending on what's sore or tight. Um, And I do a lot of mind-body awareness stuff. So like over the years, I've learned relaxation techniques that help me get in touch with what's going on in my body because a lot of times, we're tensing up or we're holding pain in a certain area. And by just changing our position or just breathing into it for a couple of moments, we can ease that pain. So really paying attention to that mind-body connection is important. 
Yeah. Let's see, what else have I done? I, I've also done over the years occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, biofeedback training, the pain management. Um, I've worked with personal trainers. I've worked with yoga instructors. I've done acupuncture for pain, which is a thing I'm going to start doing again. I didn't do it during the pandemic, but now I feel like it's safe to go back to doing that. So I think those are, and then I take prescription medication. <laughs> I take all my prescriptions, you know. I think that's, that's probably a really thorough list. It's probably more than you were bargaining for. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> I think the key is, um, oh, you know what I didn't talk about? is Social support. So for me, like, really building and enriching my friendship community is critical. So like, having a really kick-ass community of people because I don't have kids. I don't have parents who I have a relationship with. I am married and my husband is amazingly helpful and supportive, but he can't do it all. And it's not fair to put it all on him. So building up that support, whether it's through my healthcare professionals or work colleagues or accountability buddies or just friends, that's been really important. So I have really worked very hard to intentionally grow a community of support for myself. And I try to give as good as I get, you know, that's really important to me. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I do TJ that we haven't really talked about, but I mentioned creativity, you know, for me, creativity is very life giving and life affirming. And so creativity is a big part of how I take care of myself every day. So I do all of these things. I work with also like listening to music and making quilts about it and making jewelry and doodling. And, you know, if you looked in my house right now, you'd see that every wall has art on it. And just surrounding myself with creative energy really keeps my spirits lifted, keeps me feeling excited and distracted when the pain is high. So all of these things work together. And I think that um, anybody can build almost everything I've talked about into their life if they go at it with a consistency. If they, they make a commitment to making one small change. For example, I'm going to take 30 days. I'm going to make one small change in 30 days. I'm going to make it stick. Then I'm going to add another. And then I'm going to add another. And then I'm going to add another. And so when we, when we do that, we're not only building in these awesome habits that are great for managing our health, but every time we have a success, we're reinforcing to ourselves that we're worth it, that we're worth the work, you know, that we're valuable, that we're worthy. Um, and that, that really helps our state of mind, you know? Yeah, that's super important. Um, does, does it sound overwhelming? No, I, <laughs> I mean, know for, but that um, works for you, though. I mean, once you, I'm sure yeah. it, it sounds like a lot, but, you know, I mean, having a healthy uh, health, especially a health, healthy body is one thing, but a healthy mind is a whole other challenge. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's not easy to get that. I'm sure it took you a long time to get to where you are. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it's not linear either. It's a very like squiggly process. So, I mean, I have, I had a phase at the beginning of the pandemic, for example, where I took a shower like once a week. I mean, I threw out so much of my self-care went out the window because I was terrified and depressed like right. so many of us were. And so now I've been kind of clawing my way out of that hole again, you know, and really building back in all those routines. And it's, man, I feel so much better. I feel so much more like myself. So, I mean, I think that um, 
if if your if your listeners take one thing away from this interview today, I hope that they realize that there are so many ways to take care of themselves where they don't have to depend on the healthcare system. The healthcare system is important and we need to hold it to account and we need to work with it. But also we have so many other tools at our disposal um, to help us be the best that we can be, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You need, there's so, and again, with the internet and everything, I mean, of course the problem is, is like, even if I were to look up, brain fog supplements you're gonna get a thousand different things and um, oh yeah but there's but there the information is there it's just you got to do your research and you know again there's nothing wrong with going to your doctor and taking what he says or her you know what she says as you know is is valid but also do some research and check on some other things and you know i mean i youtube pretty much everything nowadays where it's just like if i'm gonna buy a product I want to see what yeah. people's reviews are on it. I want to see what it's about sure. and, and if it's good because the value is like seeing a picture of it is cool, but it's like, it might not be as small as you want. It might not be as big as you want. It, it, it may have yeah. some functionality right. that was not explained in a description. Um, and so yeah, it goes right. the same thing with medication or, or anything you're trying to do. Um, and again, and, and what works for you might not work for everyone else. Um, everybody. Yeah. That's really important to remind people. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of the stuff I do may not be pertinent to some folks, you know. And I mentioned a medication I take earlier. That I know friends who've tried that medication, and they absolutely hated it. So it's not for everybody. It's like we've got to advocate for ourselves and ask for, um, continually ask what our options are. That's the other thing is over time, you know, I've had this, I've had fibromyalgia for almost 25 years. The options that were available to me when I first got diagnosed are utterly minuscule compared to what is available to me now. And so we also, as advocates for ourselves, we have to continually ask our doctors, hey, what's new? What's, what's been discovered in the last year that I am not trying yet? You know, we need to stay up on the research. We need to join Facebook groups and other advocacy organizations for the conditions and disabilities we have so that we can continue to learn about what's out there. Um, that's, we, we have, that's part of advocacy is we, you know, we, the first person we need to advocate for is ourselves. And so we need to speak up, ask questions and, and not get stale. We've got to keep coming back to it month after month, year after year, and keep asking those questions. What else can I do? Um, and I, I think that's, that's what I teach my clients when I work with coaching clients. Um, that is so much of what I work with them on is learning that self-advocacy component, um, learning how to con- build that into their life, the continual questioning, you know, and sometimes self-advocacy also looks like saying, you know what, I'm not going to think about this for a month. I'm just going to do what I do. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to step away when I need a mental health break and that's okay. Cause I'm, that's part of taking care of myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, again, just keep your options open. Just see what else is out there and have an open mind to what is out there because, you know, a lot of people, some people, you know, are really old-fashioned and they only want to try certain things and, you know, whatever their doctor says is that. But I think we're getting mm-hmm. now into more of an open-minded society where now people have to look into what else is out there. There's there's so much available um, for any ailment, you know, just – Again, and your doctor might be 100% right. It just means just 
see what else is out there. And again, you, you can experiment and try, or you can just take a look and see reviews and all that and go, eh, it's not for me. Um, yeah. But, but for again, sure. if you don't try, then it's not going to get better. So, um, yeah, that's true. But, that's uh, true. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Cause I'm, you know, I don't want to keep you too long. I, I, know you got stuff I to feel do. like we covered it. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing I just want to make sure that people know is that, um, even though I'm not adding new work to the Chronic Babe project, I stand behind those 15 plus years of the work. And um, I, think it's, I think it's really important for folks to go out and look for advocates like you and other people to, that they respect and really, really um, join those communities and get that support. I think it's really important. And if folks want to learn more about the work I'm doing now, they can uh, visit my website. They can go to jennygrover.com. That's J-E-N-N-I. And Grover, like the Sesame Street character. Okay. <laughs> um, and I also have a blog at creativeresilience.com where I talk more in depth about a lot of, um, a lot of these issues and really looking at how we can use creativity to boost our resilience so that we can thrive. Yeah, that's important. Um, yeah, and so when, when the episode does come out, like I said, I'll get a I'll get a link to your uh, website in there and uh, okay. your, your blog and whatever your Instagram, whatever you want. Um, okay, that's again, great. Thank you. Thank you again for accepting my invitation and coming on and uh, and doing this. Like I said, it helped. And there's people out there that it'll help. It, uh, yeah, yeah. So many of us. It's are in my the pleasure, and I thank you for. Thank you for reaching out to me and thank you for the work you're doing. It's really important. So I'm glad to know you now and be part of, uh, part of this broader community with you. Yeah. Same here. And, uh, like I said, anything you need or even just want someone to talk to, you know, I said, and I deal with my mental health all the time. So if you need something, just, you know, call me up, text me, whatever. Uh, hopefully we can stay friends outside this and, uh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Thank you so much, TJ. That's, um, yeah, I'm glad to make friends. Of course. And, uh, yeah, like I said, we'll keep in touch and, uh, you know, I always hope the best for you. So, um, okay, thanks. Yeah. And I, I will, I'll be excited to let people know about the podcast when okay. it comes out. So just keep me posted. I'll be patient. I'll be here whenever you're ready. All righty. But I guarantee it'll come out. <laughs> so cool. Uh, <laughs> thank you again. And, uh, like I said, if you need anything, I'm around and, uh, I will talk to you later. Okay. Thank you so much, TJ. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. That was good. Um, it won't be the greatest day because I have to get my tephuses, uh scraped. <laughs> I have to get my uh, teeth clean. I don't want that. I hate that. I mean, I have nice white teeth, but man, I just don't enjoy going to the dentist. I don't like the smells. I don't like the fact that the woman is always trying to talk to me when my mouth is open and I can't speak. And then I'm drowning in the water and it's just... And I have very sensitive gums, so they bleed. And it's just—I mean, you know—I know it's nothing you guys want to hear, but it—it's just I hate that I hate the smells, the, the the feeling, everything. I just don't like any of it. Um, uh, Mr. Bullet has been laying here the whole time. Uh, he went away for a minute, but he's been laying here, buddy. Want to say anything? No. It's literally right in front of your face. And you don't want to say nothing. There you go. You can Precious boys. Um, sorry for the lawnmower. That's just, ugh, of course, I had to go on during this. I actually did two interviews back to back, and it didn't go off for the first one, but it did for this. Um, 
but yeah, guys, again, I always thank you because I need to. I feel like I need to, and just you know, I'm, I'm just very appreciative of everybody who even takes the time to listen to this. And um, you know, we're 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 doing really well. Numbers are starting to go up a little bit, and um, you know, let's just keep it going. And you know, another condition we we covered again. I I, I would love to delve back into fiber, fibromyalgia, but. It was it was one on my checklist that I really wanted to go after and, and have the right person explain the ins and outs of that condition, and, and I think we did it. Um, but yeah, we, we most likely will be delving back into that um, and, and more to come. Um, and I hope all is well. Take care of yourself and the ones you know that love you back and you know that are there for you. Just make just check on them. Um, you know, I know we all get busy and consumed with our lives, but you have to check in on some people, man. There's some people that are really needing it. And I say this from experience. There's many times where I just wish somebody would call me or text me to know if I'm okay because I'm just in a dark place. Um, so please uh, please check on those people. Any Anybody, not just the people that you think that are uh, in a dark place, but just just maybe that they're, you know, there's somebody who's just, I mean, they just recovered from a surgery or something or I don't know, somebody that just needs to talk, just needs to hear a voice. Um, anyway, so guys, thank you again, and uh, yeah, continue to go on, keep, can't speak, continue going on this journey, and uh, we will uh, be back with another episode, guys. See you guys.